Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Thursday, the 21st day of March 2019. I actually did that right today because every once in a while I tend to say 2018, 17, 16. It's amazing how quickly time flies by. Speaking of which, we're getting close to an event at American Social. This is a really neat place. I'll be at on the 27th of March between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m., located at 601 South Harbor Island Boulevard in Tampa, Florida. Harbor Island is a really cool place in Tampa. The the development that Tampa has gone through over the last uh, couple of decades is utterly amazing. Every time I go back to my adopted hometown, Tampa is my adopted hometown. My hometown is Dallas, Texas. But my adopted hometown is uh, just, I, I really give, kudos to what they've done there. American Social is a really great place. If you get a chance, go there. Um, I don't personally know the owners in any way, shape, or form, but I will tell you they do a nice job. They have places in, of course, Tampa, Miami, as well as in Fort Lauderdale, and this will be part of a thing that I attend on a pretty regular basis called Network After Work. And one of the things I will tell you is networking is absolutely critical to success, I recently had a conversation with somebody about the importance of networking. And um, one of the things I'm going to do is chat about a couple of companies that were publicly traded. And of course, because what we do, let's get our disclaimer out of the way and we'll continue. Connecting Dots is a production of Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. All rights reserved. Rebroadcast or distribution prohibited without expressed written authorization. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This broadcast does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Always read and all applicable information carefully before making an investment decision. Investments are not bank guaranteed, not FDIC insured, and may lose value. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. One of the things I can tell you absolutely unequivocally beyond exclusion of every reasonable doubt is that I have been looking at and following and tracking organizations such as WeWork, all of these co-working locations, because one of the things I've said here at our firm that the blending of the co-working and networking communities would take place, and sure enough, a few years ago, or actually last year, WeWork bought uh, a group called Meetup. Now, Meetup is one of those organizations where I literally, there are thousands of different meetups in cities all across the country. There's a book written by a fellow whose name escapes me for the moment called uh, The Curse of the High IQ. Aaron Cleary is, I believe, the name of the author. And it's a cute little quick read. And one of the things Aaron talks about is how difficult it is for those of us who have a little bit higher IQ than maybe the average person out there to find individuals of common interest and ground. And he talks about these meetup organizations and how frustrating it is that um, it's out there. And then you get the Mensa groups, which oftentimes are 
kind of like BMOC, hey, I got a big brain, but again, the common sense oftentimes isn't there. Not being negative, oh, this is here. This me, I'm blunt. I just call it the way I see it. I don't really care. That's why people love us, and that's why people work with us, because we call it the way we see it, and that's what forecasting is all about. You don't sugarcoat things if you're a forecaster. So Meetup is one of those things where you can create a group online. We've tried to do it a few times in the past, and you can advertise your events, and people can come. Listen, you got people who are <laughs> Harry Potter fans, hikers, a dating, couples groups, a specific business technology, a lot of technology groups that are out there. Foodies, they go out and go different uh, food restaurants and even shopping excursions and travel. Everbright, uh, their mission is to actually uh, hook people together as well. And they uh, it's a fairly simple thing to use. And again, it's, 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 a, it's a thing. Everbright is a way to uh, go out there and make connections and put together these groups as well. There's another one I'm not that really familiar with. It's called Eventful, E-V-E-N-T-F-U-L. It's very similar to Meetup. Um, it's a digital media company, connects people and events that might be interested. So that's something to do. There's a whole industry. There's a whole industry that has popped up over the last decade, really since social media became a thing, social media experts and all that kind of stuff. But now I think you're getting more and more people are beginning to make the connection. How do you navigate all of these meetups? And that's something that's really becoming more and more a big deal. Leonard L-Y, excuse me, L-A-N-Y-R-D. They add events, conferences, they track contents, correction, contacts <laughs> that are attending. And again, it's a whole thing. So one of the things we'll be talking a little bit more and more as time goes along, we'll be talking about network after work. We'll be talking about how we do what we do at Fixed Cost Financial and, of course, my private network. And, uh, again, it's all about knowing people and getting things done. Now, with that said, one of the things I did last night is I had an opportunity to have coffee with a young man that uh, I lost track with quite a long time ago. Young man, he's one year younger than me. And one of the things he told me about was his children going to college. We had a nice conversation. I want to share with you something about what I said to him. You know, you get your children, they go to school. And this problem that we have with people buying their kids into school and all this nonsense going on, I call it Ivy Gate, but uh, people are calling it different things. To me, I call it Ivy Gate, the uh, Ivy for Ivy League schools, okay? Yeah, that's pretty obvious. So one of the things that I said to him is that, you know, when you, your kids go to school, what people don't realize is that you get in the door, but what you want to do is just getting the education isn't going to cut it. Now, what is really important about going to school is making the connections. That's the reason why if you're going to be in a bureaucratic setting, you have to dot the I's, cross the T's. You want to get a, you, you got to make the right connections. You know, some places, I got to tell you, I'm, I'll be talking more and more about this. A lot of people have college degrees. They don't need them. You just don't need them. You, you, people are getting college degrees that are just way far. Um, you're wasting your money. Now, I did a podcast on my personal site, paultruzdell.com, about the cost of college education versus not going to college, saving money, minting a millionaire mindset. But when it, the big thing is, don't get me wrong about this. I've, I went the whole way just like a lot of people. But the key thing is, if you're going to get a degree in basket weaving, you're really wasting your time and money. You're going to go to a really high-end prestigious school to get a degree in art history. You might be wasting your money. At least you might have a very hard time getting 
a return on money that's really substantial. It's about the mindset. It's about working. It's also about making the connections. So when you're in school, when you're out of school, when you're working, it's always about making connections. And that's one of the things I do. If you're interested, simply get a hold of us here at uh, Fixed Cost Financial. I'd prefer if you use the online contact form. You can also call, but we'd really prefer to use the online contact form. Use the scheduler and uh, simply sign up when we'd like to. Uh, I, I'm always looking for a reason to get out of the office and have coffee and meet with people. One of the things I will tell you years ago and tell you a real quick story before we get into today's four top stories, I want to talk to you a little bit about a fellow that I met years and years ago, a fellow by the name of John Shabazz. John was an attorney in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and he was very successful. He was a state senator in the Wisconsin legislature. John's passed away quite some time ago now. Years ago, he took me under his wing, and one of the things he showed me is how to collect data. Now, understand that back in the 1970s, I was doing computer programming, Fortran, COBOL. I understood IBM punch cards. Still do to this day. Those were the, those were the good old days, folks. But the bottom line, John had this massive... Um, index card system. He had a lady that worked for him. That's all she did was she was his index card person. So if he met me, my first name is Paul, there would be an index card under P for Paul. There'd be an index card under white male. There'd be an index card under my last name, Truesdale. There'd be a card for financial or investment advisor uh, under financial. It, my address, he would sort, and this is before you had computers, say, and John said, listen, every time I meet anybody, I always fill out an index card. I put all the information down, and we'll just throw caller Louise. Louise would make all the extra cards, and he had this massive, just massive index card system. I mean, it was huge. Half his office was this index card system. And it wasn't the days, you know, years ago in a town police department, you said these big, giant rolling index card uh, the Rolodexes, they were huge. I mean, you think of a Rolodex on the desk, for those of you who remember what it is. I'm talking about something that was 10 and 20 feet long and just massive and rolled and just utterly amazing. But again, computers put all that kind of stuff out of business. So today, no matter who you are, you can do your own data management, data collection, and follow up with people. And that's the key thing. And that's what we're doing here at Fixed Cost Financial with our podcast is we do it right. We constantly keep our people updated on what's going on. And I think that's really, really important. And it's a distinction that really makes us different. Okay, now we have four items I want to cover today with you. And let's begin. Number one. Why do we have an ongoing flood of people coming from Mexico and South America? One reason is a lack of credit that is keeping many small businesses in Mexico and nations throughout South America from growing. Last month, Mexico's central bank sharply reduced its 2019 gross domestic product growth forecast. More than half of Mexican workers are employed by businesses in the informal sector, meaning their employers don't pay taxes or contribute to workers' social security benefits. That can make it difficult for them to get bank loans, which means they tend to stay small. More than 80% of Mexican small businesses rely primarily on supplier financing, not bank credit. When it comes to small businesses, the average loan size is between $150,000 and $200,000. The average annual interest rate is high, about 27%. 
So let's cover a couple of things about that. Look, we've got a lot of people are coming across the border. And one of the items that we need in this country is we need babies. We need people to begin uh, fornicating and getting pregnant and having children. Not necessarily politically correct, but it's the reality of life. you got to have a replacement of your population. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people that don't do that, and so the population rate is really going down. Huge problem in Italy, France, England, a lot of your northern European countries, Japan. Oh, my goodness, the, the depopulation is amazing. The world is changing in terms of complexion and color and growth because, again, certain segments of the population are just not having children. That's a, that's a matter of fact. So as a result, when you have people coming across the border, you kind of want to have people that are going to assimilate or at the very least, they're not going to disrupt the communities that they're going to on a significant level. So if half of the employers, small employers in Mexico, are not used to paying taxes, they don't pay social uh, security benefits down there, what do you think the people that are coming across are used to? They're that's the reason why people, they don't care about Social Security. They don't care about paying taxes. It's just a natural thing. If a business isn't going to do that, okay, again, that becomes a real problem with the people coming across. And then when you have people, like 80% of the small businesses rely primarily on supplier financing. So let's say I make I make a bolts, and this guy, he needs my bolts. He's got, uh, he's bolting things together, B-O-L-T. Well, Okay, I'll float him the bolts, but he needs to pay me back. I'm going to probably have some people are going to stiff me. So since I'm not just the manufacturer and supplier, but I also have to be the bank, I'm going to charge you a real premium. And that's the reason why these annual interest rates are as high as 27% in Mexico, because, listen, I got to get paid, and there's a lot of people that don't do it. So the bottom line is, years ago, I had an opportunity to talk to a major at the Ocala Police Department. We were talking about the uh, migrant Mexican populations that work in all the horse ranches around here and how the problem they have policing these people because they tend to stick among themselves. When something happens, they have their own code and et cetera. In fact, I just read in the newspaper in uh, Ocala, they had a murder. Somebody was found shot dead in a barn on State Road 40 to the west of the uh, downtown area. It's more of a rural area. And you know, I don't know anything other than what I'm telling you, but more likely it'll be a, uh, a fellow from Mexico. More than likely he'll be shot and killed, and they'll have some hard time figuring out who that is. It's just, it's a whole different culture. So that's a problem. When it, you know, it extends to business, it extends to banking, it extends to crime. It, you know, it's just, it, it's an issue that, unfortunately, we need to really just have a honest-to-God, just plain old-fashioned conversation about it. It's not racial. It's not uh, being concerned about how people, you know, it, it's just a plain old conversation. If you've got a problem, best thing to do is just talk it out. But most people, and eh, they get emotional and they, they lose their, their cookies. Number two. For years, asset managers have been trumpeting a new dawn for strategies that deliver competitive returns along with a clear conscience. In the past year alone, firms including Vanguard Group, Goldman Sachs Group Incorporated and BlackRock Incorporated's iShares have introduced more than a dozen ETFs that use environmental, social and governance scores to pick stocks and bonds. But investors have been slow to buy into so-called ESG funds. It's been a huge topic of conversation, but it's been more of a trickle when it comes to investment. 
ESG is a contemporary offshoot of socially responsible investing that tries to deliver a feel-good flavor of investing without sacrificing diversification or returns. Unlike older strategies, ESG doesn't categorically ban unloved industries but tries to find those companies that perform the best on issues like pollution and pay parity. There are now 221 U.S. mutual funds and ETFs that invest based on ESG criteria, up from 130 in 2012, according to Chiruli Associates, a research, analytics and consulting firm. Now, Carillion Associates have been around for a long time, and I've used a lot of their research, and they uh, do a a nice job. But one of the things I will tell you is that, oh, back around, oh, I would say the late 1980s, it was the first time I was introduced to uh, an organization called Calvert. Calvert's a mutual fund company. I believe that they are now affiliated with Emeritus. It used to be associated with uh, Acacia out of Washington, D.C., and they were one of the very first firms that were doing socially responsible investing, and I believe they still are. But I got acquainted with them because I had a gentleman said, I want to work with you, but I simply want to use uh, socially responsible investing I'll be honest with you. I said, what is that all about? And this guy gave me a, an education and we went through it. Now here at Fixed Cost Financial, I'm going to tell you absolutely unequivocally beyond exclusion of every reasonable doubt. We're not going to do that for you. And I'll tell you the reason why. I am not going to try to make a decision for you as to what is socially responsible or what is an ESG category uh, company. You see, one of the things we have here is we have blacklist investing where you can deselect from our investment silo selections the companies you don't want to be involved with. So let's say, for example, you were using our uh, silo 50, okay, which would be the 50 largest companies in the S&P 500, and then we equally weight those things. Okay, we got these 50 And you say, I don't want these five. Great. Then you just eliminate them. And so as a result, instead of each company having 150th, they would be 145th of the size of the portfolio. So it's a real simple way we do it. You can deselect. In other words, it puts the power in your control. I'm not a person that is going to spend the time trying to figure out what companies should and shouldn't be on a list. I think that's just absolutely silly. My job is to simply get the best companies that I think that are out there and to create these investment silos. I'm not here to be judgmental. But if the client wants to do that, that's fine. Uh, bottom line is a lot of people, it's a good talk, but that whole area doesn't really have the numbers that a lot of people think it, it, it would have. It Well, a lot of people that are really into it, they think it's the sun rises and sets on ESG and SRI investing. Not a lot of people are doing it. Number three. A growing problem in real estate, too many too big houses. Large, high-end homes across the Sun Belt are sitting on the market, enduring deep price cuts to sell. That is a far different picture than 15 years ago, when retirees were rushing to build elaborate, five- or six-bedroom houses in warm climates, fueled in part by the easy credit of the real estate boom. Many baby boomers poured millions into these spacious homes, planning to live out their golden years in houses with all the bells and whistles. Now, many boomers are discovering that these large, high-maintenance houses no longer fit their needs as they grow older, but younger people aren't buying them. 
The problem is expected to worsen in the 2020s, as more baby boomers across the country advance into their 70s and 80s, the age group where people typically exit homeownership due to poor health or death. The coming exodus of older homeowners is about to begin. Boomers currently own 32 million homes and account for two out of five homeowners in the country. You have this wave of homes built that now just don't make sense for a lot of the people who bought them. Here's the problem line. Did you hear what that was? Just, you just heard that? Two out of every five homes in the nation are owned by baby boomers. And so as these people, and I'm one of them, begins to, well, I'm, a, I'm not the age of the older baby boomers, obviously, but these people start getting in their 70s and 80s, they, they downsize. I've been doing this business for 33 years. I can tell you there is absolutely no doubt that what happens is people begin to get older and then they realize, oh man, I got too much house. Then they want to get out. Well, the problem if they want to get out is if everybody is selling, well, that's not a good time to get out. Oh, So that is something that's going to be coming up and people's lives are changing. I did a podcast not too long ago where I talked about the explosion in retirees that are no longer buying homes. They're getting apartment complexes. Even down in the villages, you're seeing an explosion, not just of new homes. Oh my God, that place is growing. But you're beginning to see more and more places all across the country, smaller in size, nicer homes. Try to keep the homes between the two to five, $600,000 range. And it, they're closer together if they're single family, single story. But also you're starting to see really nice high-end apartments and condominiums course, that's been going on down the Miami area and down in the St. Petersburg area, Clearwater area for years. Definitely places out in Newport Beach, Corona Del Mar, et cetera, especially New York. You've got, but focusing strictly on that 55 plus community area. Now, Florida's got some really neat laws in that regard where you can kind of restrict people uh, on their ages from coming in. But the bottom line is, man, there's 32 million single family homes where two out of five are owned by boomers. And so the wave of homes, you know, giant homes, oh, let's retire and build this 9,000 square foot house. And then the kid doesn't show up anymore. Again, there are so many people who have overbuilt and it's going to be a real, I think it's going to be a real mess. I think you're going to see a real problem. Also, I want to remind you that one of the things that we do provide to our clients is we have, uh, our, I think, a really neat way of investing in real estate. And that is through our composite real estate investment trust, where we take not just one, but as many as four different real estate investment trust approaches. And we, you have literally thousands and thousands. When I say approaches, what we're talking about is commercial, we're talking about residential, they call it multifamily. So you, each one of these segments has 30 different REITs in it, thereabouts. So I think all together, there's about 90 or 120 REITs in this in our thing. I have to take a look at it because every day we, we modify things. Some companies have to come and go. But the bottom line is what we you can do is you can actually own real estate um, and let the real estate investment trust pay your mortgage or pay your rent, pay your condo fees. And so you have liquidity. You got a neighbor who's a pain in the ass, just move. You know, not a lot of people have the kind of money to just simply, you know, I got a neighbor who's a pain in the rear, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. Just get up and move. Some people have to put up with that stuff. Other people, you know, they got to deal with the uh, the ongoing uh, uh, idiot and trash. And 
the weirdos that are in the neighborhood, you know, again, or, or me and other people, you say, how the hell with it? I'm just going to move. I don't need to deal with this, this crap. Um, and again, if you move to a place and it's like, I don't, it's a little loud here. I want out. And, uh, well, you can. So that's a big deal. Bottom line is, man, there is going to be some real changes when it comes to housing in the country. Let's go to our next item and we'll wrap up in just a moment. Number four, Fidelity served with Second Funds Network suit. For the second time in less than a month, Fidelity is being accused of charging excessive, undisclosed fees via its funds network platform. The latest suit claims that, since at least 2016, Fidelity has breached its fiduciary duties to the savings plans by charging mutual fund and other investment companies a substantial fee as a condition for their investment vehicles being offered on Fidelity's fund platform. They go on to allege that, while Fidelity refers to this arrangement as an infrastructure fee, it is, in fact, an illegal and undisclosed pay-to-play fee that Fidelity extracts from investment companies that wish to ensure their products are marketed and sold through Fidelity. This arrangement drives up expense ratios borne by 401k plan participants, causing these participants to pay more in fees and receive lower returns on their investments. Well, there you go. Here's the thing. It's not beat up on Fidelity time, but the reality is I've been in this business for a long time. I can tell you the old concept of pay to play. That's real. You know, these guys that have these 401ks, they want money from all these different mutual funds and ETF providers. They want to have shelf space. They want to be able to to, uh, to get a kickback. I mean, that this whole kickback thing has been going on for years. Well, now federal government is saying, you know, you got qualified money. We're going to step in under the ERISA laws that were passed back in 1974. ERISA, E-R-I-S-A, stands for the Reti- Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And it's something I actually know quite a little bit about, especially when it was first created. And bottom line is simply this, hey, you can't do what they're doing. Why does one organization pay higher costs, another organization pays lower costs, and it's just not right? We've been saying that here at Fixed Cost Financial, we're the home of fixed cost investing, where you will not pay more because you have more. You will not receive less because you have less. You do it right as a true fiduciary. You wouldn't have these problems. But all these people, and we're going to talk uh, in another episode about all these free, absolute zero cost mutual funds and ETFs out there. I'll tell you about how there's no such thing as free. I'm going to give you a real quick thing here. Look, if somebody is charging different prices for different people, why do business with that person? Okay, Don't do that. Second thing is, if somebody says there's no cost, none at all, then what they're doing is they're no longer providing you a service. You're the commodity. In other words, everything about you, all of your information is being sold. You're the commodity. They're going to sell you loans and mortgages. All they want to do is get information from you. And and they, frankly, just so you understand this, and this is a complex thing. A lot of these people who want, you know, Fidelity's doing this themselves. Oh, sure, open up a Fidelity brokerage account and get our absolute zero cost mutual funds. Yeah, but if you keep a lot of money in cash, you do realize they use that cash to make loans. They're leveraging. So, People don't realize how this thing works. You're the commodity. They're selling you on the idea of loans and mortgages. I mean, we have a very narrow uh, group of people that we work with in organizations, and none of them are in lending. 
you know, debt inhibits growth. And the more you can get somebody in debt, the more you make. It's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But again, with Fidelity charging all these different rates, I think it's wrong. And I think you should say no as well. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. If you have a comment or an idea, call 888-629-7864. That's 888-629-7864 and leave a message. We truly appreciate your ideas and comments. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast was produced by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. Fixed Cost Financial is a true fiduciary-based investment advisor, where you will not pay more, if you have more, or receive less, if you have less. The way we do it, as a true fiduciary, it's better, it's simple, and it works. You can find Fixed Cost Financial online at FixedCostInvesting.com, that's FixedCostInvesting.com.